for the past um, several weeks, we've been talking about growth. And we said that growth happens best, our spiritual growth, our walk with Christ, happens best in, an, in a relational environment because that's the only place we can learn how to put into practice the things Scripture teaches that we're to be developing as Christians. So if I'm going to learn to be patient, to be kind, forgiving, gentle, etc., I can only do that in the context of relationships. Some opportunities to help each of us grow are coming up here at our church. Next weekend, for instance, our Discover event. Part of the Discover event, and if you've got your bulletin, I want you to look at it on the inside the inside uh, panel. Uh, the kid, kid Unique, Helping Kids Discover Who They Are. One of the roles of parents is helping kids discover who they are in Christ. Who did God make them to be? Understanding that each child is different and God's plan for each child is different and therefore how you and I interact with each child is to be different. We have to get to know them to understand them. And part of Christian growth means I'm learning how to encourage my kids, how to correct my kids, how to, de- how to discover who they are and help them then discover who they are. That's, that's growth, that I learn how to invest in them. And I want to encourage you to participate in Kid Unique next uh, Sunday evening from 4 to 7 o'clock. If you're a parent, grandparent, teacher, coach, you want to have influence in the lives of children, great opportunity for you to grow and, and be more influential as a follower of Christ in the lives of children. For those of you who... Wanting to know, how do you know the will of God? How do you create a plan for your life? Particularly those of you who are young, maybe you're a junior, senior in high school, a college student, single adult, a young married couple without kids. The Finding Your Way workshop that Randy Gravitz is going to lead because knowing how to, to, to uncover God's plan for my life and put a, and, and, and put a, a plan in place, if you will, to, to live that out, to flesh that out, that's, that's part of growth. And so next Sunday evening is a great opportunity for growth, and I hope you'll uh, register for it. There's, a, there's an insert in your bulletin that looks like this, and you're not signing up by age. You're signing up by the conference you're attending. The, the adult bracket uh, is, uh, is the kid unique. The 11th through 20-something is the finding your way. And then if you're a middle school student or junior or a freshman or sophomore in high school, Sabo and elementary, preschool, et cetera. So you'd register for that, and I hope you'll, you'll do so. And also for those of you who work with our education uh, schools and so on, I've got some flyers at my table in the back. Come by and see me after the service and get some of those. Now, I'm, I'm talking about Discover not simply because it's an event we're hosting next week, but because it really is about growth. See, if I'm going to grow as a Christian, that means I'm growing as a dad, I'm growing as a grandparent, I'm growing as a friend, I'm growing in terms of my character, I'm growing in terms of how the fruit of the Spirit plays itself out in my life, and that can only happen in relationships. So Discover is an opportunity for each of us to grow, and I hope you'll take, take advantage of it next Sunday afternoon. Now, another way to grow is what I'm going to talk about today. It's in your marriage. Next Sunday, we're going to focus a lot on, on, uh, on parenting, and uh, Dan Webster's going to preach next Sunday morning as well as lead the workshop that evening. But today, I want to talk about marriage because as I grow as a Christian, it means I'm to become a better husband. As Monisa grows as a Christian, it means she becomes a better wife. As you grow as a, a Christian, it means you become a better brother, a better sister, 
a better child, a better parent, a better spouse. Because Christian growth is not just, as we've said, about Bible knowledge. It's about taking Bible knowledge, the truth of God, the principles of Scripture, and putting them into practice in our relationships. And so I invite you to open your Bible to Genesis 2. Today's message is titled Second to One because the biblical teaching is that our marriage relationship is the second most important relationship in our life. There's only one relationship more important, our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now think about that for a minute. The Bible teaches the most important relationship in my life, your life, is our relationship with Jesus Christ. The second most important relationship in life is that with our spouse. None, none, everybody experiences that reality. Not everybody practices that. Not everybody uh, agrees with that. But that is God's expectation, that is God's biblical teaching, that our marriage relationship is second to only one relationship, that is our relationship with Jesus Christ. The challenge we face in life is keeping the marriage relationship in its rightful place, fostering a healthy relationship with our spouse. Because life is so demanding, we become so busy, we don't do it intentionally, but it happens that relationships get shoved down the priority list, not in, not in our mind and in our, and, and our desires, but it's, it's just what happens in terms of our behavior and, 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 and our, our actions. And all of, us, all of us know the divorce statistics. This week, I had two marriage counseling sessions, two, two different uh, young couples. And all of us know so many people whose marriages either have failed or are struggling. It's, it seems to be it's an, an epidemic. Um, I was looking at some research recently uh, about millennials. And part of that research described the percentage of adults before they reached 30 who were married by various generations. And when you look at the builders, which is the oldest generation in the room, by the time they reached 30, 65% of that generation was already married. The boomer generation, that's, that's me. That's those of us in our 50s up through mid-60s, etc. Uh, by the time we reached 30, half of us were already married. The Gen Xers, mid-30s up through late 40s, etc. By the time they reached 30, 36%, more than a third of them were already married. Now look at the millennials, those in their 20s and early 30s today. Only 26%, only one in four married. And why is that? There are different issues. You see a trend. That's, that's, you see a trend, and people are delaying marriage longer because of careers. Many couples are living together and don't see the value of marriage. But do you know what the research tells us? That the primary factor is this. Even though the millennial generation, the young generation today, have a strong desire for committed, meaningful relationships. Research tells us they're not confident they know how to experience that kind of relationship. And so they're, they're not getting married. And one of the reasons they're not confident they know how to experience that kind of relationship is because they haven't seen a whole lot of them. They've seen a lot of divorce. They've, they've experienced a lot of unhappy couples. Couples who were in love got married and then they let the romance die and they just existed or they divorced. They've seen a lot of that, a lot of failure, and they're not confident they know how to have a great marriage. Now, parents, let me say something. 
One of the best gifts you can give your children is a great marriage. Because when you have a great marriage and they see it, you're teaching them how to have one. Because we learn from our parents. We emulate our parents. Whether we want to or not, it just happens, correct? And so, brothers and sisters, one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids is a loving, happy marriage where you keep your marriage relationship in the priority that God said it's supposed to have, and that's evident to people that you have a great, growing marriage. Now, today we're going to look in Genesis chapter 2 at, at the first marriage, Adam and Eve. And um, we're going to look at, uh, we're going to do two things today in the brief moments we have. We're going to look at the biblical teaching about the place of marriage in our lives and what, how God views it. And then Monissa and I are going to discuss some of the, the, the practical things that we can do to, uh, to try to put this into practice. So I want to begin by just walking us through this story of the first marriage in Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, and this is after he's created everything else, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. When God looked at creation, all the animals had a partner. They had someone that was suitable. That word means to correspond to, a match, if you will. So all the animals had a suitable match. In fact, later in the story, God brings the animals to Adam. He names them and says no suitable match was found. He didn't have anybody that corresponded to him. And when God looked at that situation, he said it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And in Genesis chapter 1, when God looked at creation and evaluated it, he always said it was good, it was very good, it's good, it's very good. The only time God said anything about creation being not good was here. Because Adam didn't have a partner, a helper who was suitable. Now, a helper does not mean someone who is of less value, of diminished worth. That Hebrew word helper means to provide assistance, to be a partner, to, to bring aid to someone. And in fact, that Hebrew word is used in the Old Testament in reference to God helping the people of Israel more than in any other way. So the fact that God is Israel's helper does not diminish God, correct? The fact that the woman is the man's helper does not diminish her. God says this relationship is a partnership. It's about corresponding to one another. If he created her to correspond to be suitable to Adam, it means that he corresponds to or is suitable to Eve. It's a partnership where we help one another, okay? And so God said, that's good. Now, not having that partnership, that suitable helper, that corresponding person in your life, he said, that's not good. And so he created the animals, brings them to them, and so on, but none were found. And then a very detailed description of the creation of Eve in verses 21 and following when it says, God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took, he took one of his ribs, and actually in the Hebrew it's more, more accurate to say took from his side, not just a rib, but from his side. Um, and closed up the flesh at that place, and the Lord fashioned or created or built, literally it's built, it into a woman. What he had taken from the man, built into a woman. And he brought her to the man. I love that phrase, brought her to the man, brought. Do you know that God is saying that marriage is his gift to us? 
And anything that God presents us as a gift, we should treasure, we should value. And we should treat the right way. And so God says, marriage is my gift to you. I brought her to you. It is a gift from God, the marriage relationship. And uh, in verse 23, the man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then verse 24, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, that verse is one of the most important verses in Scripture when it comes to understanding marriage. In fact, Jesus would quote it in the Gospels. A man is to leave. It's a conscious decision of separation and then join with, or the King James says cleave to, be grafted into, What happens when marriage takes place is there is a new relationship created. And the leaving and joining means that this new relationship takes precedence over other relationships. Okay? This is not talking about where do you live. Do you live in the same town or a different state? Do you live on the same farm or what? No, that's missing the point. The leaving and the joining means that this new relationship is the priority relationship. That's why the title of the sermon, second to one. The only relationship, biblically speaking, that is to supersede that with your spouse is your relationship with Jesus Christ. And become one flesh speaks to the uniqueness of that relationship. The intimacy of that relationship is physical, it's spiritual, it's emotional. It's on every level. And and one of the important messages of this story of the first marriage is that what a man and woman experience in marriage is a relationship that they cannot experience anywhere else on the human level. Now, I didn't say everybody experiences it that way. I am saying that the relationship between a husband and wife, when done the right way, is the kind of relationship that you cannot experience anywhere else. It is to be that kind of relationship. It should be that kind of relationship. Now, it's not for everyone, but that doesn't change the reality that it can be and it should be. The most unique, special relationship you have on the human level. Superseding your relationship with your parents and, dare I say, superseding your relationship with your children because your children are going to grow up and leave. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's what we want if we're the right kind of parent. But you and your spouse, your relationship is to get healthier and healthier and healthier. It's to last And if you neglect it while you're raising your kids, guess what? You're going to have some real challenges when they're gone. If you're still together by the time they leave. And so God is saying this leaving and this joining with and this becoming one flesh speaks to the the, the importance of it, to the significance of it, and to the priority of it. Not put anything else in place of it. Now, I want to say something parenthetically to those of you who are single. This is not saying that if you are a single adult, you cannot be happy or that you're out of the will of God. I put put some verses in your notes there in a text box where Jesus spoke about eunuchs, those who are not married and don't have, or or et cetera. So, and and I I don't want to teach that. That's a whole different message. But I I just want to say that there are some people for whom being single 
is good. It's okay. It doesn't argue against the role, the value of the, of the marriage relationship. But for most of us, marriage is God's plan for our life. And if that is His plan for our life, if that is my experience, your experience, then we are to do it the way He tells us to do it. Now, one last thing before I bring, bring Monisa up and we talk a little bit. Um, look again in verse 23. Remember now, in verse 22, God brings this woman He's created to Adam. So it's the first time He's seen her. And in verse 23, Adam speaks. And he said, this is now bone of my bones. And that really doesn't help you get the sense of what is going on there. Any of you have the Holman Christian Standard Bible, that translation? It's probably the better translation of that Hebrew phrase because it says, this one at last. Now, here's the picture. In the previous verses, God brought the animals he had created to Adam to name, right? And God says, there was not a suitable corresponding match found. There was not a helper for him. Nothing else in creation filled that role. And so just imagine all these animals coming by and Adam, and Adam naming them and looking for his corresponding mate, his partner. No, 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 no. And then after he wakes up from this God-induced sleep, here's this beautiful woman. And Adam says, now, at last, in the Hebrews, the idea of finally, yes. That's the picture. All right. Now, with that, I'm going to ask my beautiful bride to join me on stage. Um, And let me say at the outset, some of the things we talk about today, we're not suggesting you have to do what we did or what we do. What we are suggesting is that you need to have a plan. And you need to be intentional because that makes a big difference. Now, all of you have your story. We have our story. You have your story of how you met, how you fell in love, got married, right? You have those stories. We have our story. Now, I knew Monisa before we ever dated. I knew her in high school. And then I was her pastor and her parents' pastor and her senior year of college is when we started dating. But prior to that, the months leading up to our first date, um, I would drive to the church I was pastoring that her parents attended on Sunday morning and uh, pass their house. They lived across the creek, back off the road, and it was in a curve. And I would go around that curve and I would lean over and look out the passenger window to see if her little white car that she drove to college was there because if I saw that white car in the driveway, I knew she was home for the weekend and I'd get to see her. She had no no idea I was interested in her. We weren't dating. But some of you have stories like that. You, you remember when you were first attracted to her or to him, right? All right. Now, you won't believe how much she really wanted to be with me. I'm going to let her tell you about that right now. <laughs> Well, what Steve didn't know that I was also interested in him. We had um, not only was it my he my pastor, but we had worked together for two summers, uh, two previous summers of uh, doing Bible schools uh, in uh, at our church in Eastern Kentucky. And um, so I had seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I really what good, what bad, what bad, what ugly. <laughs> you don't know what I'm going to think. Uh. But I knew that I really liked him. He was a very committed Christian, and I was very interested in him. So going into my senior year of college, I wasn't dating anyone, and that was intentional. I knew I was very interested in him, and so I began to pray 
about this relationship and if God had a relationship for us. And, um, and I knew that at the end of my first semester, I would have a whole month off in January, and I knew Steve would also because he was in seminary and he wasn't going to J-term. So I was really praying about this and seeing what the Lord was going to up, open up. And so when I got home the first night from college, after that first semester, Steve called me and he invited me for lunch. And he said, we'll talk about working this summer. And I thought, yes, Lord, this is moving really quick. And uh, so we had lunch the next day, and we talked about work, and I said, yeah, I'll pray about it. I probably will, but I want to pray about working this summer. Then he began to tell me about a girl he was dating in seminary. (laughs) And I thought, oh, my, I have waited too long. Um, But I went home, and I really began to pray, and praying about working that summer, but pray. And he had a birthday on January the 14th. So I decided I'll call him on his birthday, wish him happy birthday, and tell him I'm going to work. But when I called him that day, he was grumpy. He was tired. He had been to Louisville, and I knew he'd been to see this girl. And uh, so I was very upset. And I'd never said anything to my parents either because, you know, he was their pastor. Um, But my mom caught on, and she said, if you like him, you need to tell him. So I really began to pray, and I even fasted and prayed. Um, (laughs) And I said, Lord... um, I really feel he needs a wife. He's going in the ministry, and I'd really like to be that person. But if I'm not, please send him someone. And so about a week later, um, Steve called me to ask if I would help with youth on a a seminar doing dating, sex, and marriage. And so he came over, and we were planning it, and uh, we started talking about dating. He told me he wanted to date me, and all I could think about, you you know, what my mom said, you need to tell him. So I, you know, started telling him how much I wanted to date him, and, and he know the rest of the story. Yeah. Man, I'm so glad you prayed. <laughs> so I'm telling where I'd be if you hadn't. Um, now, if, if we took time today, every person in this room would have stories, right? And when you start out in your relationship, there's all this excitement. It's what Adam said. Yes, Lord, finally, this one, at last, now, I got it. And then life happens, right? <laughs> Okay, life, life does happen. <laughs> Adam and Eve had to work. He was in a garden, and then after the fall, after sin, that garden became a hard, you know, they were kicked out of that, and work became hard. Weeds, thorns, thistles, right? They had kids, Cain and Abel, and uh, those kids were different. I mean, Cain was kind of rebellious and had an anger problem, right? We get busy, we get tired. A lot of demands on us, and we have less time for ourselves. It's not intentional. It's just that life happens. Uh, a few months ago, we watched the movie um, Blended, which is uh, some of you some of you've seen the movie. Uh, a mom with uh, two boys, and she's divorced. A dad with three girls, and um, uh, he's a widower. And long and short of it, they end up together. Uh, in Africa on a vacation. It wasn't planned. They just end up in the same place at the same time on the same vacation. And, and as the story unfolds, they begin to become romantically involved, attracted to each other. And there's a scene when they're on a date and they're talking about what life is like as a couple and with kids. And so if you would give your attention to the screen, let's watch that brief scene. And the most beautiful... Kids. Oh, thank you. Sure. <clears throat> You're a great mom, too. You're a pretty good mom yourself. 
I'll take that. Tyler has a playoff game on Saturday. Yeah. And I think that for the very first time, he won't actually be completely dreading it, thanks to you. Tell your, uh, his father, the more he works with him, the more he's gonna get confident, the more he's gonna belt the ball anytime he gets up there. Yeah, well, his dad's not really into working with him, you know, because to do that, he'd have to show up, which he's just not good at. You gotta show up for your kids. It should be boring how reliable a parent is. Funny to me that some people don't get that. You do? I mean, your kid needs to come first 100% of the time. Absolutely. 99%. 1% of the time, I think we are allowed to get what we want. Ah, oh, God. I forgot what it was like to want something. I vaguely remember it. Feels good. All of us understand that uh, that scene. And there are different seasons in life when we're busier than other seasons, seasons when it's more challenging to focus on your couple relationship than other seasons. Um, but your relationship with your spouse should never be put on the back burner. It's, it's harder at certain times in life to, to keep it on the front burner. But when life is hard and you're in those really challenging seasons, that's when you have to double down and work even harder at keeping your marriage on the front burner. You may have to do it differently, but you got to do it. And, 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 and it requires intentionality and, and consistent effort because the Bible would not agree with what the authors of that video clip, what that movie wrote, that kids come first 100% of the time. The Bible wouldn't agree with that doesn't mean you don't love your kids. Invest in them. We've both gone to more ball games and orchestra concerts and, and uh, gymnastics and boring school events. And Y'all know that story, don't you? But you can't allow your relationship with your wife, with your husband, to move to the back burner. You just can't because you'll pay for it if that happens. And So when this is going to talk about a, a few of the things we did, to try when we were raising our kids to keep it on the front burner. Not saying you do what we do, but just to help you think, you need think what, what, what can you do? So go ahead, sweetie. A few of the things that we did, uh, our parents live in uh, Kentucky, so we didn't see them on a regular basis. But in the summers, they wanted to connect with the grandchildren, and we were very happy to let them do that. Um, so they would spend <laughs> a couple weeks uh, with the grandparents in Kentucky, and that gave us a chance sometimes to do things at home, but also, too, we um, would travel together. And that was one of the things that helped us to reconnect and just have time together. But, Or sometimes when we were in Kentucky and visiting family, we would often leave for a day or two just to have time together uh, as well. But we've been very blessed in the churches we've been in, in Sumter and in here, that we've had people offer to watch our children at times so that we could maybe go away for a night or two, whether that was a marriage retreat or just um, just to go to the beach or whatever. And that was very helpful for us because uh, it gave us time to uh, just to talk, just to be a couple again, have some fun, and just um, just to reconnect. So that was something, one of the ways, some of the ways that we did some things. And celebrate passion. That's <laughs> enough said. <laughs> because, listen, what happens in life? Did I embarrass you? No, okay. Because you know what happens in life? 
you get busy and you begin neglecting the things that are important to keeping that, yes, now, at last, you got to keep that alive. Because if you let that die, it's not automatic that you'll rekindle it. If you let that go away while you're raising your kids, that's dangerous. Now, yeah, you can't do when you're raising kids what you do when you have no kids or after they're gone, and we're enjoying the empty nest right now. But one of the reasons we're happy and enjoying the empty nest is because of some of the things she's talked about there. Um, And um, uh, she she mentioned time to talk, and I didn't put anything in there about that, but uh, talk a little bit about the importance of talking and how we talk, et cetera. You want to say anything about that? Yes. I was going to say that in a few minutes, but I'll go ahead and say it now. Did I, did I jump the gun? Yes, you jumped the gun. Okay, I do that a lot. <laughs> but communication is crucial, and I know you hear that all the time, but how we talk to each other is very crucial, what I say and how I say it. And even when I'm angry, and sometimes I say as mad, when I'm as mad, I want to spit, um, I need to take a step back, and I need to think about... Um, who I'm talking to, and you know, this is the person who is God's gift to me. This is the person who's the most special person to me. And sometimes I need to take a step back and take a breath. And when I say something to him, say it in the right manner. And sometimes that means you have to whisper a prayer and ask God to help you. Um, but how we say things to one another is crucial. And just in our everyday talking, um, for me to respect him, to be the person that is there to encourage him, to love him, He is my gift from God, and I need to treat him as such, and that's very important is how we talk to one another. I'm sorry I messed up the notes. That's something else you got to do is occasionally say I'm sorry as well. Now, I want you to look in your notes, and I think it will be on the screen as well. There's there's these these quadrants. Do you see that? And I want to talk very practically for just a minute because uh, Stephen Covey and others have used various uh, versions of this. And for me, this is what I call the quadrant of, of, of life planning and life management to help you evaluate life. And you see, I won't bore you with all the details, the four quadrants there. You can read that. But most of us spend our time in quadrants one and three. And one and three are those things that are urgent, and they're screaming at you, pay attention to me now, deal with me now, do me now, fix me now. Quadrant one, urgent, screaming, and it matters. It's important. Quadrant three is screaming now, but not necessarily important. A lot of the interruptions in life. You know how you get addicted to always checking your text messages and, and, and emails and so on is an example of that. Most of us spend all of our time in, in, in those. Now, quadrant two, though, is the key to life because quadrant two are those things that are really important in life, but they're non-urgent. And when I say they're non-urgent, it's because they're not screaming, fix me, pay attention to me, deal with me, changing the oil in your car. That's a quadrant two. It's important, but it's non-urgent. Until you've neglected it, ignored it, not changed the oil, and all of a sudden the red light comes on or the, or the car starts skipping or dying, and suddenly a $30 oil change is now a $3,000 engine repair. And so you allow it to move from quadrant two, important but not urgent, to quadrant one, urgent and important. Hey, screaming, you got to do it. And it usually costs you more. You pay a bigger price by the time you let it get to quadrant one. Well, there are some examples. Your health is one. You neglect your health, it will become quadrant one, screaming, fix me when you have that heart attack. If you neglect your spiritual life, your walk with Jesus, it will scream one day because you've neglected it and all of a sudden you wake up and you don't have what you need when you're in a crisis. Quadrant one is, is mostly crisis mode. Your marriage is quadrant two. 
so important, but it's non-urgent. And that's the reason we let it slide to the back burner so easily is all these other things in quadrants one and three scream now, 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 now. So what is your strategy to prevent your marriage from ever moving to qua- from quadrant two to quadrant one? What is your strategy to prevent your marriage from ever becoming a crisis. When I get a telephone call and a couple says, can we come see you? I know it's already moved to quadrant one and it's in crisis mode. And that can't always be fixed. Sometimes it can, sometimes it can't. So when we talk about the time away, that's a strategy to prevent marriage from moving from quadrant two to quadrant one. Does that make sense? I'm not saying that's how you have to do it, but I am saying you have to find your own way. You have to find a way. Another one, a few years ago, I decided that I would plan dates for us six to nine months out. So we're not talking about a weekly date or a month. I'm talking about things I would plan and put on the calendar six to six to nine months ahead because it would be things like concerts that we wanted to go to, uh, maybe some uh, programs up here at the Blumenthal or, or the Peace Center in, in, in Greenville, uh, concerts at the Newberry Opera House, other things. And so periodically I will sit down and look at some uh, websites I have bookmarked I look at the venues we like to go to, artists we enjoy, and I'll look for their schedules, and I'll buy tickets and book those things months and months ahead and do that regularly so we can have something. So Friday night, Monisa and I went to the Rhonda Vincent concert downtown. She's my favorite female bluegrass artist. Now, my wife is not into bluegrass. But you see, love means doing for the other. And uh, we've seen Rhonda Vincent three times. And she actually likes Rhonda Vincent now because she's talented. She doesn't like some of the other bluegrass, but she likes Rhonda. So you've got to do those things. So what is your strategy? What is your strategy? I even did that with the kids. I remember taking Jacqueline, our daughter, to the Peace Center to see um, um, da, 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 Les Mis, Les Miserables. And I had planned that a year ahead uh, just to have that time to invest. So what are you doing? In those key relationships, what's your strategy to keep it quadrant two? All right. And then one last thing, small acts of kindness. What do you do for me? Well, and going back to um, Go ahead. Um, talking with one another. Microphone. I have the microphone. It's my turn. Um, is once we talk with one another and I hear what he says or he hears what I say, we adjust uh, our, our behavior or just what we're doing. We try. We work very hard at it. Um, Based on these conversations, um, I try to hear what he's saying. He tries to hear what I'm saying, and we make adjustments. Um, and we learn what matters to the other person, like going to a uh, bluegrass concert, and we try to do those things. And then I know or watching it, Lifetime movies. Yeah, he's watched a <laughs> lot of Hallmark movies. Um, but one of the things too um, we talked about is your love language. Um, he likes for you to do for him. I like gifts. And so in the beginning, I wanted to buy him a gift, and he wanted to do for me. So those are some of the things when I talk about making adjustment. Now I know he likes for me to do for him, and he buys me gifts. So um, just learning your person's love language is very important because you may be trying to love them, but they may not realize that you are doing that. And we talk about small acts of kindness because he likes for you to do for them. Um, You know, when I get my towels out, at night or in the morning, I'll, I'm always up first. So I usually lay his out too. It's a very simple thing, but just a very small thing. And one of the things that he does for me that I really appreciate is he calls me on the way home from work to say, I'm on my way, do you need anything? So they're very simple, kind of small acts of kindness, but it's just a daily way to do something nice and just finding things like that to do. All right. Thanks, sweetie. Okay. Yeah, you can go. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> I'll leave it. About time for the invitation. 
Does this make sense? See, if it's a priority, you have to figure out what you're going to do to act like it's a priority, to keep it healthy. And it'll look different at different seasons in your life, and how you do it may look different than how we do it, but you need to have a plan to do it. Now, as I wrap this up, I said a moment ago, one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids is a great marriage because it gives them security. It teaches them how to have a great marriage as well. But one last thing I want to point out to you. God looked at Adam when he had no suitable helper and said it's not good. And he created Eve and therefore the first marriage happened. And that was good. Do you realize that when we put our marriage on the back burner, when we neglect it, whether it's intentional or unintentional, and usually it's unintentional, right? But when we do that, you know what we're doing in essence? We are forcing ourselves back into the condition that Adam existed in before God ever created, even created a marriage. Before there was marriage, God said, something's missing. Nothing else in creation can meet that need. And then he created a marriage and he gave us this beautiful gift. When we neglect it, when we neglect it, we are forcing ourselves back into that state of existence that, 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 we, that man was in before there was marriage. Why would we do that? Why would, we, why would we do that? That's why we have to be intentional. And so I want to encourage you as a couple to go home and take the four quadrants and sit down and talk about what, do we, what can we do. And don't, don't do a lot of recriminations, pointing fingers and blame, because you won't get anywhere if you do that. Okay? You need to say, what can we do now? And you need to get alone, each of you, and say, what can I do? What can I do? And then be intentional. And then watch what God does. Let's stand. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will help us to obey you, to respond to you, and to learn how to better love one another, especially our husband, our wife. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing this hymn. We invite you to make your decisions for Christ right now. Jamie's here at the front. You come and say, Pastor, today, I'm renewing my commitment to be a good husband, to be a good wife, a growing husband, a growing wife. Maybe you want to pray together. Um, come and join this church. Come and give your life to Christ. Let's sing together. You come right now.